Hi, my name's Simon Baldock, and this podcast is called Tales from a Very Minor Celebrity. It's the story of how I conquered my insecurities and shyness and went on to have a 35-year career in broadcasting, both in the UK and in Spain. You'll hear some of my most memorable celebrity interviews and all the adventures I've had and the stories behind them. Like the time I delivered half a carcass of beef to Margaret Thatcher at 10 Downing Street and the time I carried a million pounds worth of diamonds on the tube in an old Sainsbury's bag on the way to a photo shoot with Lord Snowden at the Ritz. Yes, hello everybody and thank you for your continued support. This is episode 9 already of Tales from a Very Minor Celebrity and another in the short series of recordings looking back at some of the stars of American 70s sci-fi programmes and classics from the 80s and 90s as well. Uh, This week you'll hear interviews from face man himself, Dirk Benedict, from the A-Team, and also Battlestar Galactica, and also a lovely lady who was born in Essex but emigrated to Canada at a very young age and went on to star in a very successful science fiction series, that is Stargate SG-1. She is Amanda Tapping. First though, it's Dirk Benedict, best known for playing the characters Lieutenant Starbuck in the original Battlestar Galactica film and television series, and Lieutenant Templeman Faceman Peck in the A-Team television series, which he appeared in 96 episodes from 1983 until 1987. Now, when he's not making a movie or writing screenplays, he pilots his own aeroplane, composes music, goes fishing and just relaxes with his two sons. He's also the author of And When We Went Fishing and Confessions of a Kamikaze Cowboy, which looks back at his life and the factors that led him to become a vegetarian and his use of a microbiotic diet to help cure himself of prostate cancer. What I consider, you know, I took my life in my own hands, and um, it was a a bit of a... I use the word kamikaze because, you know, it's sort of uh, the fearlessness of it, of that journey that I did back then when everybody told me I would die if I did it. So I thought it was a catchy title that sort of, and once you read the book, it makes perfect sense. Uh, so the, 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 the website is called that because uh, of the book that I wrote called Confessions of a Kamikaze Cowboy. Although you you became a, a big star, you, you really are an, an outdoor an outdoor boy at heart, aren't you? Yes, and I and I'm now living back in Montana, raising. I'm a single dad with custody of my two boys, who are now 12 and 14, and uh, so I've been doing that for seven years, which is why I've sort of stepped back a bit from acting. <clears throat> I had my kids a little bit later in life, so uh, I, I'm in my 50s now, and uh, my kids, as I said, are 12 and 14. Mm. So uh, it gives me a little bit added perspective, I, I, I think. Uh, and I have had a kind of a varied life experience. I started on Broadway. Actually, my first Broadway show was with Dinah Rigg. And then uh, television and films. And and uh, and yet I consider what I'm doing now to be the most interesting uh, and certainly personally rewarding and deepening experience that I've had being uh, raising these two boys. And I live in a little log cabin here on a lake in the woods. Oh, wow. About uh, 10 miles from town. And... Uh, they go to school in a little, little small public school that's on a, a on a river, and so it's it's a bit uh, 
kind of unusual even in this, even over here. But it, it obviously suits you. Well, it does. I mean, uh, I think when my kids get, uh, you know, go off and leave home, I, I will then probably move, spend a lot of my time in a city. I, I very much enjoyed New York City. Mm. And I still have a lot of friends there, and I'm doing a lot of writing. I wrote and directed a film last year called Cahoots. Yes, a star, film stars Keith Carradine and David Keith. And this, this idea came up many, many years ago. I have a whole chest full of ideas, a whole, you know, a whole suitcase full of things that I want to write. And this was one of them that came up uh, years ago in 1973. I was sitting around the pool with Paul Newman and Robert Redford. And I happened to say to George Roy Hill, who was there, who was the director of, of uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, yeah. uh, amongst other wonderful films. Yeah. At the time, they were shooting The Sting, and I was friends with George Roy Hill, who had invited me, uh, who used to invite me up to Paul Newman's house on weekends. I was sitting there and said, you know, somebody, someday somebody ought to, to do a movie about the real Butch and Sundance. I don't mean literally, but I mean, what drives guys to do that kind of behavior? Yeah. So he thought that was interesting. He said, write it down. So I wrote it down and showed it to him, and he hated it. He thought it was pretty disgusting, you know. It's a, it's a dark movie, very dark, about guys who do destructive things. And so I put it away, and then in uh, about ten years ago, I drug it out and uh, fleshed out the screenplay and rewrote it a bunch of times, and eventually got somebody to give me two million dollars and uh, and cast the film, and I shot it in L.A. I must uh, f forgive me. I must mention Battlestar Galactica because that's what really brought you to prominence to the the public in in Britain. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the, the fabulous A-Team. Yeah. Did, does a day go by when you're not reminded of one of those two shows? Oh, no. You know, it's quite astounding to me, actually. I, I, I'm having a, a house built right now, a larger home for my two boys and I and uh, the guys that were working on it. Yesterday, I was down there with the, the workmen, and they were all asking me about the A-Team and Battlestar Galactica. So, and they, you know, either grew up on it or they they re re watched it with their kids. Or it had quite an enormous following, and it seems to do well with uh, the passage of time. Yeah, uh, both shows uh, hold up uh, rather well. They're not too dated, and uh, they still they still you know work. And the, there's there's plans in, to to do a remake of Battlestar Galactica, which. If they do, I'll probably participate in some fashion. Really? Being the same character, Starbuck, but, you know, 20 years older. Oh, fantastic. Oh, yeah, it'd be great. I've had long, lengthy talks with the writers and producers about what the character would be like now. And um, so, after 20 years of womanizing and gambling and <laughs> smoking cigars. And, yeah, at, uh, at the time, I never never entered my mind that after 20 years it would still be ta uh, around, but it, it is. And, Absolutely. And I, and I understand why, I think. And you were teamed up with some great actors, you know, Lorne Green in Battlestar Galactica and George Peppard in yeah. A-Team. I, I've had kind of an interesting exposure to some uh, some legendary performers in my business. As I said, my first Broadway play was with Diana Rigg. Yeah. My second, it doesn't get much better than that, my second one I starred in with Gloria Swanson. <laughs> and through Swanson I met Garbo, if you can believe that. Wow. Who was just a little lady who was just, you know, Greta would just come over and visit Gloria and just two girls would have tea and, and talk about, you know, life. And I met Gish, Lillian Gish. So those are people that go back to the beginning of, of celluloid. So how, how freaky is that? And then, of course, my one of the last films I did was with Charlton Heston. Yeah. 
And in, in Battlestar Galactica, Fred Astaire played my father in a two-hour episode, and he and I became quite close. And that was one of, one of my more uh, fond memories, is the time I spent with him. And we, we got along extremely well. We were very similar personality-wise, and had a wonderful chemistry off-screen. And uh, he was a very charming, uh, humble... Uh, sweet man. Somebody here who is a great fan of the A-Team, he actually has all the A-Team videos. He said to me to ask you about the opening credits when there are some Cylons. Is, is that right? Absolutely. Was that your idea? Absolutely. I take full, full responsibility, full <laughs> credit for that. We were actually shooting at the... We didn't, we didn't very, the A-Team was never filmed at, at a studio, but occasionally we're at Universal because it was a Universal show. We were always out on location, but this one episode we shot on the lot, and uh, we were shooting there, and there was a Cylon just walking by from the tour that they do. <laughs> and I saw him, and I went to the director. I said, oh, 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 before we, at the beginning of this next scene, just have that Cylon walk in front of me. He said, well, why? I said, no, just, just, I got an idea. What I did, you know, just looked at him like, don't I know you? Uh, just, uh, and then we went on with the scene, just as a joke for dailies, for them to see in dailies. Well, the producers, which I'm very happy of, liked it, and they put it in those big opening credits when they introduced characters. They would show that little bit of the Cylon walking by and my character looking at him like, geez, you look familiar. I, uh, no, no, I guess I, I must be a mistake. The A-Team was, was probably the most fun I ever had working as an actor in film or television. Just sheer fun. And it went on for four and a half years. And it was with four guys, four, you know, manly men out there smoking cigars and doing, shooting guns. And it was kind of uh, like being, a, you know, an 18-year-old kid for four and a half years. And we, we got, we, we, we had our little squabbles, but we loved each other. And, and so it was kind of like brothers, you know, fighting and, and having, having, having a great time. Dirk Benedict, who also made a cameo appearance in the 2010 big screen remake of The A-Team, starring Liam Neeson, Bradley Cooper and Jessica Biel, along with Dwight Schultz, who played Howling Mad Murdoch in the original series. But Mr T, who played B.A. Baracus, decided not to take part in that remake. Now, Amanda Tapping, who I had the pleasure of interviewing back in 2004-ish, and then she invited me to meet her at one of her convention weekends at a hotel near Heathrow Airport. I'd tracked her down because I was working for a radio station in Essex at the time, and I found out that she was actually born in Essex, near Rochford to be precise. So there was a local interest, there was Stargate SG-1, which was a huge success on TV, and again, one of my favourite programmes. So from a personal point of view, I just really wanted to chat to her. So I initially contacted her through her website and did a telephone interview, and then a year later I met her at this Amanda Tapping convention near Heathrow, my first experience of anything like this, when fans meet their idols, and what a real eye-opener it turned out to be. Now this is my first experience of a convention. Ah, It's a crazy place, crazy isn't it? It's fandomonium is what it is. It, no, it's fantastic. Um, this is actually one of the best-run conventions I have ever attended, run by a group called Gabbit, and it was uh, four directors who got together and approached me, gosh, I think about maybe four or five years ago to do their convention, 
proposing a, a, a nice intimate weekend with my fans, which I thought was really a lovely idea as opposed to these big, massive expos, which are great for what they are, but you don't really get a chance to talk one-on-one -on -one with the fans. And one of the reasons I like doing conventions is the opportunity to come and say thank you because if it weren't for the fans, we wouldn't be on the show or on the on the air for nine years. And so here I am, finally, finally, four years in the making, able to come to this event. And it's just been fantastic. I was watching you um, doing a, a Q&A earlier <laughs> on. You're very good, aren't you? You must enjoy it. It looks like you're enjoying I it. I do. I really do enjoy it. It's uh, I'm very nervous at first. But once you get going, really what you do is you open it up and the fans ask the most fantastic questions, which lead you into all sorts of crazy stories. So I have a great time up there. I mean, a lot of them about the show, obviously, and fans of science fiction in general I find to be highly intelligent, and they have a, an encyclopedic knowledge of the show. So they probably know more about the show than I'm on than I do. But they also ask a lot of other questions, too, which is really interesting. I mean, then you open up sort of stories about your personal life, and so it's been really funny. They almost know as much about you as you do, I suppose. They seem really devoted. Yes, they are, which is incredible to me. Remarkable even that I've you know, been flown over here to meet these <laughs> fans, and fans have come from all over the world to meet me. It's, it seems crazy to me, and they are... Uh, incredibly devoted and incredibly knowledgeable and, and really just very generous. And what also surprised me was that uh, a large number of them are women. I think it is uh, primarily because the character that I play has become uh, a good role model. She is incredibly smart and incredibly dedicated. She's, I think, one of the one of the rare characters, female characters on television that isn't about her sexuality and it's not about uh, her figure or do you know what I mean she's yeah. not it's not superficial with Sam Carter this is a really well drawn out character and um, all I can say is it's I think it's a testament to our writers and a testament to the show in general that they haven't made her the sex kitten which is often what happens in sci-fi but sci-fi is changing since we started the show nine mm -hmm. years ago it's changed a lot and I think the doors have really opened up for these really strong really direct and very focused female characters so scary women which us men no, you know don't not yeah, scary, no, no. Not scary. <laughs> but you the are the gun is scary yeah. admittedly and the, yes I suppose if I were a bloke walking down the street and a woman walked up to me with a p9 I might be a little bit intimidated <laughs> yeah I guess it could be construed that way because she is different you know mm. and she's very smart and uh and she could probably kick your butt yeah. I could probably kick no, I'm just kidding, <laughs> but um, she also has a great sense of humor. I think she's really well-rounded, and I think that that's what women respond to, and people in general. And my demographic is a lot different than some of the other characters on the show, and I find that I have a lot of mothers and daughters who come, and a lot of um, couples who come, which I think is really neat. So, But yeah, the majority of the people here this weekend tend, seem to be women. The wonderful Amanda Tapping. And if you ever get the chance to go to one of these conventions, even if you're not a sci-fi fan, then please do go along. They're incredible events with thousands of loyal fans dressing up as their favourite characters. It, it really is a great sight. These days, as well as acting, Amanda Tapping is regarded as a highly successful and respected director and is in demand across the film and television industry. And that's it for this week. Boy, it's gone quickly. Now, next week, we're looking back at the stars of two very popular 70s and 80s American series. Antonio Fargas, who was Huggy Bear in Starsky and Hutch, and the wonderful James Best, who played Roscoe P. Coltrane in The Dukes of Hazard. Let's do this here, Roscoe! 
Pete Coltrane calling into the fat buddy. You got your ears on? <laughs> Guess he's not. That's next week on Tales from a Very Minor Celebrity.